Laura. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. It's 2021. A horrible disease sweeps across the world. Huge chunks of the population have completely lost faith in society and the government. Massive corporations hire private armies to do whatever they want and hold the health of the general public ransom. And religion is weaponized for the use of the powerful against the vulnerable. So, returning guest Kevin Mosteller. Is Johnny Mnemonic a reality, sorry, a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? Well, I think we're remaking it in real time right now. Um, (laughs) We're doing our best. We're doing our best. No, it has not been remade. And actually, this is the first time I'm going to say I think it should be remade. Because, yeah, this movie is, like, really, really interesting story. Not well executed. (laughs) Yeah, well... I had a really good time watching this movie, and it has so many interesting things in it that it felt a little bit like, well, this is a cool thing. Let's put it in the movie. This is a cool thing. Let's put it in the movie. This is a cool thing. Let's put it in the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, disparate parts to it that, you know, kind of, like, now we're running through here because we think this is a cool cyberpunk thing. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't listened to the six other episodes you've been on so far. uh, I've lost count. Who are you? And what do you do? I I am a film composer. I am a horror composer, mostly, um, just kind of by default. Uh, I also, in the past, have uh, written some scripts that uh, got some places and uh, made some films that got some other places. But uh, primarily, I'm a composer and uh, really enjoy doing things like this to exercise the writer part of my brain because I don't get to do that (laughs) as much anymore. Yes. I'm trying to do a rundown of uh, movies you've remade. It was the president one first. Not all the president's men, but it's. Um, I never remember the name of this. My movie. fellow Americans. My fellow Americans. Yeah. You did Blade Runner. We did yep. uh, <laughs> Highlander. Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, what else? Highlander, Beetlejuice. Um... And, among other things. So yeah, been you, on a you, few of them. You were a remake alum. And so when I told you that I wanted to remake Johnny Mnemonic because it happens in 2021, you're like, yeah, great. Let's remake Johnny Mnemonic. And I was like, awesome. Yeah. No, this, this movie, uh, it's been a while since I'd seen it. So it's the first time I'd ever seen it. Oh man. Uh, I think I saw it in its original theatrical release. Me and like four other people. (laughs) Oh no. I I didn't look this up. I'm going to look this up now. How soon after the matrix did this movie come out? It was before The Matrix. I was going to bring that up. This was before The Matrix? Yes. So this is actually, I think, like 95 or 96. Uh, but yeah, we don't get The Matrix without this movie. That's true. I, I, so this movie came out in 1995 and The Matrix came out in 1999. Yeah. That sounds That's about right. Because like, you look at it and it feels a little bit derivative of The Matrix, but the opposite is true. I mean, I think The Matrix, like, it was kind of like the Beatles in a weird way where it was catching fire, you know, it was, or lightning in a bottle rather, not catching fire. <laughs> it was catching lightning in a bottle for, of a thing that sure. had kind of been going on, which is, you know, cyberpunk uh, is a, a genre that's been uh, kind of kicking around since the 80s. And and I think yeah. 
the apex of that is probably the matrix so yeah would you describe this movie as cyberpunk i would i would call it cyberpunk because it uh deals with a lot of like um like body scarification with cyborg parts and humans interface interfacing with computers and you know things like that which is kind of at its core cyberpunk yeah i know you're not much of a gamer but i know good old johnny mnemonic himself keanu Mm -hmm. reeves is in the new cyberpunk 2077 game yeah yeah uh i i know one of the composers that worked on that it's a pretty cool game i just i you know games are kind of time vampires so i don't get to play them very often (laughs) Yeah, and my understanding is that that game is glitchy as hell. Um, my son said the same thing, actually. So, But, like I said, I'm not a big gamer, so I don't know. That's a separate podcast. Ideal Remake <laughs> Video Game Edition would be an interesting conversation as well, but I would, not be the, I would not be the ideal host for that. So, you saw this movie in theaters, and then did anything happen after that? Like, what, what is the cultural penetration of this movie? Like, how, like no one really zero. talks about it. No? no, no one talks about it at all because it, it was kind of viewed as like, a, what the hell was that? Like this movie was, it kind of came and went. And then the only other like cultural thing that I can remember is that, uh, you know, everybody kind of made fun of it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when it came out on video, it was the first tape to have like the a, a colored cassette. It was like an orange colored cassette. Oh, interesting. Um, that's the, really the only other like cultural thing that I remember about it. Uh, it didn't really do much. Uh, did not light the world on fire. And looking at it like the story, I am wondering if it is because you know it may have been a bit too dark for 1995. Maybe. So, it, it, I mean, that's it, exactly it. Like, I think this is a movie that was both ahead of its time and didn't go hard enough. I agree with that completely. And uh, in, in the same way, like. A lot of the performances in it are, I, I don't want to, you know, be mean to any of the actors, <laughs> but they could have done better. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's there's a lot this of moments is, in it that. Yeah, this is from an era of movie where I think it was more about the spectacle than about like the, the craftsmanship necessarily. Yeah, but I mean, you got Henry Rollins in there and he's stumbling through his <laughs> lines. Yeah. And I mean... I, it took me a second to be like, is that who that is? And then like when the credits came up, I was like, it totally was. That is wild. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to, again, I don't want to beat up on him because I know he'll come and find me and beat me up. But um, cause <laughs> that's what Henry Rollins does. Is it? But uh, no, not really. Um, I, I grew up around the corner from where he was living. And I just remember him being an angry guy walking down the street and then years later getting into black flag. And I was like, Hey, it's that angry guy from my childhood. <laughs> He's the That's singer really of this funny. Band. Yeah. Well, cause I only learned about him recently. Like I think I saw his interview on hot ones and then another friend of mine sent me like another interview and stuff. Cause he's an interesting guy and he's led a very interesting life. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I still like, I, I love listening to him talk. Um, it just, I grew up in that kind of, that area, that South Bay, LA slash Anaheim kind of area where, where black flag was huge. Like there's, there's a, I mean, this is probably a story for another podcast, but there was a huge riot at my high school caused by black flag and Henry Rollins. Really? So like we would wear, sometimes I'd wear a black flag t-shirt and I'd get in trouble because it was all banned on campus, <laughs> like things like that. So yeah. That's you a, crazy rebel. I know. Wow. Mid two thousands rebel for something oh, that happened in nineteen eighty four. How dare you wear a shirt? Uh, how dare I? 
a white one at that. I don't never do that. Anymore. Gasp. Anyhow. So, uh, so yeah. So so this movie, I, I'm trying to figure out how to approach it because like I have this is one of those weird things where I watched it a few days ago and I jotted down like notes of things that I wanted the the the, the our our version to do and mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I didn't forget uh, these ideas, but like. Let's talk about the movie as it is right now for people who haven't seen it because, as you say, it has no real cultural penetration. Like, oh, to your point about bad acting, like, the biggest moment I thought that, like, felt the most real was when Keanu was, like, losing his shoes. Like, I want to be in a hotel. I want to be getting room service. It's – and I'm like, "Eh, yeah, seems legit. It seems like a thing he genuinely wants. $10,000 hooker Yeah, one of the things that he shouts. That is is the line. (laughs) Yeah, uh, <laughs> but that that was the most genuine moment in that in that entire movie for sure. It's a good moment. I mean, we're not talking about the guy with the laser whip yet because that was pretty genuine too. But... And also, that's that was rad. He yeah, it's a, a really it's a cool lightsaber villain weapon, but yeah. it's a whip. Yeah, and he like keep like it's in it, it's like stored in his finger. Yeah, super cool. And like, I kind of wish that somebody would revisit this thing and put out like an uncut version of it, because you know, there's there's some stuff that hit the cutting room floor there that for ratings that uh, really made the movie not so. Uh, well, what my research said is that choppy. just the, is just the dolphin just kept fucking up its lines and that kept screwing up the scene, and they're like, well, we just got to get out of here, and that that led to a lot of the cuts. That's that's it's, fair. it's mostly the dolphin's fault. Fix it in post because the freaking dolphin. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Certainly Everybody wasn't at home. Oh no, he was he was great. He, Ice T was, was great. I enjoyed everyone's performance in this. Like even if a couple of people who weren't necessarily like giving it everything. Like I thought I I had a lot of fun watching this movie. Oh yeah, it's great. Uh, and again, I don't want to like beat up on any of the actors for their performances, but the, you know, because they were probably pretty good for what that world is. Um, I think Dolph Lundgren is probably my my favorite in this one, where he's just oh, shouting man. Bible quotes. That. Is great. All right. So for people who haven't seen this movie, the basic premise of the movie is in in the opening scroll, which you always know a good movie needs, mm-hmm. is uh, so the world is different. Uh, technology and information is power. The internet's still a thing, apparently, and apparently lots of people are on it. Who knew that would catch on? Well, here in 1995, we sure didn't. And uh, there are people who are smuggling information wherever they can, and they're doing it because they had hard drives inserted into their brains. I mean that that that's just touching the surface on this one too. Yeah. Uh, we we also gotta point out that the backstory is there is a global pandemic mm-hmm. of a disease that uh, turns uh, affects your uh, nervous system. So uh, they call it NAS and or the black shakes because suddenly you can just break out into a seizure, I guess, because of this thing. Yeah. Uh, and and this particular Johnny Courier is carrying the cure in his head. Yep, which we don't find out until Act 3 of the movie, but that's the thing he's carrying. That's what was stolen from this pharmacy company because they weren't going to just put out the the cure. They were going to monetize and sell it, much like Who's His Face did with, with insulin. Yeah, or like they did with Oxycontin or, you know, yeah. it's... It's easier. It's more. It's more profitable if you keep people sick. Yeah, than it which is, is you know a line from the movie. 
Yeah, it, I mean, it is a line from the movie, but it's also, but it's also our true. reality in America. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those interesting things where I don't remember the disease, but the guy who like came up with the cure said like you can't copyright you can't copyright something that would save so many lives, and then cut to like yeah. a company bought it and now sells it for like thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars a shot. Yep, all it takes is an opportunist, you know, yep, come basically. in and save the day. Yeah, capitalism. Yeah, capitalism. Anyway, so the big Johnny mnemonic. The big companies hire the Yakuza, uh, the Japanese mafia, to uh, go and get their information back. And then there's, like, interpersonal, like, squabbles within the Yakuza, like, struggles for power, which don't feel necessary to me at all. Like, that's the one thing for the movie. I was like, we don't need that. And uh, and so basically, Johnny Mnemonic, he, when they put the, the thing in his brain, they had to take something out of his brain. And what they took out was his entire childhood. Yeah, and uh, let's let's go back just because this is some something from the mid '90s on uh, how much memory is stored in his brain. Yeah, which is a whopping 160 gigabytes. Well, that's what he has. That's what he has the specs that's, in his brain for. But the actual size of the file is 320 gigabytes. And that's the ticking time bomb. Is if yeah. he uh, doesn't get it out of his head, it will kill him in 24 hours because yep. he's twice the load of what his brain can carry. Which, which is interesting because the way their memory system is set up is that it expands to take in more information than it's capable of holding, much like how computers do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I, I had an iPod that did that once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, P- popped in your pocket. You still got the star from scar from that explosion. Oh man, it's uh, it, it's rough. I, I have to limp sometimes because of yeah. it. So, these these anyway. are the tragedies. But mm-hmm. yeah, well, like that said, like in terms of just extrapolating, like actual size of files and things that, like from a 1995 perspective, they were pretty close. Yeah, surprisingly, actually. I mean, it, it is a bit hokey now, but yeah, they they were they got close on a lot of things, which is bizarre. Yeah, uh, like if you if you went back and told me after I see, saw that, like, hey, this is actually going to be a kind of sort of you know accurate depiction of the future, I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I, like, yeah, genuinely, it's yeah. wild. Uh, and so basically the movie is like we we start seeing that the, like there's other different ways that people have been augmenting their bodies uh jane who ends up being kind of the female love interest for some reason sort of uh, a bodyguard for a guy who knows martial arts but yeah know. well uh he knows kung fu oh sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh and so like she so his augmentation is memory based her augmentation is physicality based like she's super strong or whatever right mm-hmm. uh but like it was a botched job and now she has the black shakes but that's not why and it, it's not because it was a botched job it's just like whatever and i was very confused about that actually that's another like little plot point that they kind of just shoehorned in there that like she has implants but she also has the plague so they fight each other like i wasn't sure which way that went <laughs> yeah that that part was confusing but basically, because this is going to be Johnny Mnemonic's last job, his bookie betrays him, and like there's a bit like a, a series of double crosses, and basically they're trying to get Johnny Mnemonic's brain so they can like they're going to take his head off, put it in cold storage, get it back to the company that the information was stolen from, so that they can have their their info again. Right. 
then Jane jumps in at the last second, saves him, and now they're on the run and trying to find a place to unload the information, save his life, so or like someone who will buy the information so that he can get paid and then also pay her. And then in doing so, they find out that the information in his brain is the cure, and uh, that that's what they got to do. So a doctor ends up telling them that, and it talk, turns out the doctor was who they were trying to get the who was trying to get the information, but now it's like too late, it's too corrupted, and or he doesn't have the power in order to get it in order to. And, but before he's able to get it out, uh, the the yakuza is after him, and the they also send a priest who is super into god but also super into being just a mercenary yeah murderer <laughs> just a, a, a murder scenario yeah and like murder scenario his his cross is a knife and is like carries a cane that's like a crowbar and but and and the and what it says in the movie is that uh he has augmented his body so much that he's willing to do anything to justify his like to to justify his own faith and pay for his own augmentations yeah something something along those lines they they had a big long explanation for who he was and some of it you know gets lost in the exposition but (laughs) yeah big scary guy who uh believes he is righteous but is like a horrific murderer yeah and uh somehow can feel no pain so until he's horribly electrocuted or something like that but yeah seriously and then uh so it gets to a point where the only place Johnny and Jane can go is the incredibly high-tech uh, Luddite compound. Like, homelessness and being a Luddite kind of get combined. And then it's an incredibly high-tech compound, but they use it to hack all the other technology. Yeah, and they're they're known for their lo-fi. Like, they're, like, underground, right? Yeah. So their their lo-fi style, I think, is one of Ice T's lines. <laughs> yeah, their lo-fi LUD style. Yeah, good and, stuff. But like the big thing that everyone talks about for this movie is they finally get to like this ultimate hacker. Like they finally get to this 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 is the ultimate hacker that, that, that Johnny has to get to that the that the LUDs have, and that's how they've been able to get into all these other systems all over the place. And it is a a virtual reality Oculus system. No. No. Oh, wait. We're talking about the dolphin. Yeah, we are. Sorry. <laughs> I thought we were talking about the actual internet, the way they operate it. No, we're talking about the dolphin. Heck, yeah, we are. That's the big twist of this movie. Uh, it's like, oh, the best hacker in the world is this dolphin that got augmented by the military. <laughs> and is hooked up to all kinds of wires. I, and it's a great puppet. It's a, such a good puppet. It's so good. It looks it looks really real. And I was like, they couldn't possibly. No, it's definitely a puppet. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, like, you watch the movie and you kind of make fun of it. But then you hear stories about how, like, in the 70s, mm-hmm. the military augmented a cat to try to, to try, like, spent, like, $25 million augmenting a cat to uh, to go spy on the Russians. And then when they released the cat to go... Uh, to, in t- to go into the Russian compound to spy on them, it was immediately run over by a car. <laughs> I've never heard that story. It's pretty amazing, though. It's wild. Yeah. It yeah, was literally totally like, wild. they because they released it on the wrong side of the street, it had to cross oh. the street and just was immediately hit, and it was just $25 million just gone. I mean, that that is very American. <laughs> and, also, and also the poor cat, which after yeah. being tortured for all of this, yeah. Yeah, I feel horrible for the kitty. I do too. 
I, I have heard things about dolphin them studying dolphins though. Yeah, so I mean, they're there very is smart. yeah, there is uh, some credence to this, you know, m- you know, magical dolphin hacker. Yes, that it could it could be possible. <laughs> yeah, and very much so. And but but yeah, let, let, let's talk about the internet. Let's talk about what they envisioned the internet being. So back yeah, back then the future inter- of the internet was a uh, almost like a virtual reality world. Like you would put on your what is now known as Oculus goggles and uh, go to town in virtual reality. You can uh, you know grab things and touch them, and it, it really worked with uh, Keanu's excellent space work at one point, where he just has his goggles on and he's opening a book and moving around and grabbing a thing you can't see, and uh, so yeah, it was it was very much like you have an avatar of yourself in this virtual reality world, walking around either doing shopping or visiting a you know a, a dirty hub of some kind as an avatar, things like that. So I, I don't know. I I think it, that was kind of a thing in the 90s. It wasn't just this movie that did that. There were other, uh, like Virtuosity was another one that was kind of like that. Or The Net, I think, was another one. There was like a series of movies where uh, Lawnmower Man. Man. Yeah, where you can go inside. Which I, and... I, I think eventually I'll, yeah. Because that's what everyone, like, because technology was advancing so quickly that that's just the next step everyone envisioned. I mean, even right. modern times, like that's the whole premise of Ready Player One. Yeah, exactly. And and it's and... it's a little more possible now, but yeah. But then it was. Still. I mean, it just kind of comes off as dated and hokey now. <laughs> but I I do think this is one of those movies that was like one of the first like virtual like computer graphic like fully computer graphic. But no, it can't be because this was after Starship, not Starship, uh, the Last Starfighter. I don't know. Uh, that wasn't fully computer. No, either. but it had like uh, moments that were. It had like fully had moments. animated scenes. It certainly was one of the first uh, animated people when uh, Keanu yeah. Reeves actually goes into the internet to go fight the the evil corporate uh, bank, whatever Something. it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think it may have been the first to do CG water. Like I remember reading that somewhere oh. that it was the first time that they figured out how they could do water cg wise cool so i but, like it yeah i mean it, was, hey. it definitely <laughs> did something first yeah, yeah. And, and the problem with and, being and so the that, first is that it's not good necessarily yeah no it except for the tv show good. reboot well that's uh for because the storytelling was good correct uh but we also so there's also something that we haven't talked about it's like throughout the movie Johnny and some of the other characters are basically being stalked by this woman's face who lives in the machine, like lives in the internet. And apparently she was like a a former CEO of this pharmaceutical company who got sick and then had her brain scanned and now lives in the computer machine. You know, the computer machine. Wow. Yeah. The computer machine and ghost in the machine. Yeah. Yeah. In the, uh, who's his face? What does he say? Uh, Takahashi goes the ghost in the machine. It's like, yes, yes, we've all seen it. Yeah, we're, we're um, aware and, of this trope. And then I think at the end it turns out she's his mom. I was confused by that too. She's either his mom or, uh, yeah, I guess I was going to say sister because the weird childhood memory that he has, but maybe it is maybe it is his mom. I don't know. It, I felt like it's his mom because so basically the the 
kind of one of the emotional through lines of this movie is Johnny's like, I want my childhood back. Like, I understand that I had some reason to give it up when I gave it up, but like, in, but like, I want it back. And I occasionally get snippets and things that kind of bleed through. And I, at the end of the movie, he has to hack his own brain and that both releases the information and uh, releases his own memories. And it sure seems like this ghost in the machine lady is protecting Johnny. Be- I got the impression that it was because it was, she was his mother. Yeah, they, they kind of dance around it. Um, but yeah, there's there's some sort of connection to his former life that he has wiped. And we'll go with mother. Yeah. So. Right. And it might be because he was embarrassed of the fact that she works for this clearly evil corporation. And like in death, she had a change of heart or something. But still but that was one of the things i wanted to suggest for our remake uh, like we never really get into why johnny would give up his childhood and it sounded like it was just like that was the price you pay to have a job for, that pays you really well right for this line of work yeah but or, like there's or... other reasons to get your your memory wiped like we could go total eternal sunshine on the spotless mind of like there's something painful there that he didn't want to have anymore so right. or fine losing you know yeah, so. well, I'm thinking, like, there's the current Johnny who's trying to get, get this memory back because he's like, it's mine, it, I want it. But then, like, it's he's fighting against past Johnny who's like, please don't let me go back and have to relive this memory over and over again. Yeah, there's and definitely like, something I, there. Yeah, I would put, like, a thing in the thing in his brain that's stopping him from getting these memories is a past version of himself who is the one that locked it away. Oh, yeah, that that's interesting. I was yeah. assuming that it was just the implant that they it is you know, took out but like yeah. if, if we want like an emotional through line of like why someone would choose to give up something like we the textually it should say i gave this up in order to get this thing so i can make a lot of money but emotionally right. it should be this was an opportunity to give this thing up i'll make a lot of money but now i don't have to le- deal with this horrible past anymore exactly okay i see where you're going with that yeah sorry yeah no worries <laughs> and then like one of the other things is that like I I want to lean more into the the cyberpunk cybernetic body horror just like replacing organic eyes with like metallic eyes. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah and, I do too. I love that. Like let, let's let's play around with it and let's cyborg everyone up. Sure. I was actually thinking like just in terms of world building, it would be kind of fun to have this be like the new thing, you know, how everybody like gets Botox or, you know, has some, some, some sort of plastic surgery modification. This could be the next step in that, in that, you know, cyborg eye could be like the next iPhone, right? It gives you kind of a heads up display or something like that. Absolutely. Or, you know, there are all kinds of uh, things you can, you know, cybernetic fingers so you can type faster be better at your job you know th- you know there's all kinds of cool tricks that you can you know put in into your body to make you optimum human right like exactly yeah yeah exactly that like that that is one of my pitches like i think it's everyone needs to have these chips in their brain and i think how much of that like or like chip brain is going to be devoted to personal memory versus how much is going to be sold off as storage is going to kind of be like the haves and have nots like right. only the rich are can afford to keep their own memories and oh that's a cool idea like i mean i don't love nfts and bitcoins and all of that and the whole blockchain system but what if 
people became part of the blockchain and their memories had to store parts of these like massive like shift of technology and everyone had to have a little piece of it unless you could afford not to and Mm. so people had like have to give up their own memories in order to to work because everything's getting automated and uh like replaced with robots and everything and the last thing that we have are are the best our brains are the most powerful and best data storage things that have ever existed Mm-hmm. way outclassing technology and so that's being commodified and so you're giving up your own memories in order to basically to live right and it could be a really interesting comment on capitalism too on how how far we push it right how, how much yeah. of you are you willing to give up for um for for your job basically it kind of goes basically. back to the argument of like you know uh and companies requiring people to put chips in their wrists or whatever uh, there was a thing going around in Norway. There was a, I could be totally wrong on the location, but there was a place in Norway that started chipping their employees uh, just for like scan in and scan out, things like that. And it's all, you know, your health your Yeah, no, this is a real thing. Uh, and we were all worried about it for a minute there because, you know, corporate jobs see that as, a, oh, well, let's try that too, you know. That, but it was a thing that was going around for a little bit. <laughs> So yes, basically that. That's bananas, yeah. but like but that, but in this movie and worse. Yeah, uh, that's it, it, crazy. It is, uh, and I I really like the idea too of having to sell your 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 memory storage, but it it stays in a cloud somewhere that you don't have access to, right? Like you're, right, it's like, almost like you're trading your memories. Yeah, and like you're, and so that's where Johnny Mnemonic can come in is like, because brains have like a max storage. Like, let's say max storage of a brain is 500 terabytes. But -hmm. with the enhancements, he's able to store 5,000 terabytes. And now he's able to have all this other information stored in his head. But of course, if he overclocks it, his head will literally explode, explode, stop working. You know, all the other crazy things that happen when you fill up a memory bank on a computer because right. i don't know if you've ever worked with a computer that was full before but they do weird shit yeah it's yeah it is it is oh and there's just this is just another cool little tangent but like what if you could also program too like suddenly he knows uh you know almost almost in a way like the matrix where like oh yeah. you could program knowing kung fu you can program knowing how to hack things you can you know program certain things in there but that's not you you're not doing it the, the machine part of you is doing it you know? Well, that, that's also the other thing we can do is that, like, we can have different people giving up different things in order yeah. to make room for this skill to be put in. It was like, oh, uh, I I learned to be a five-star chef, and all I had to give up was... Uh, the awkward teenage years. Awkward <laughs> teenage years, or I used to be able to speak French and I can't anymore. Right. But I don't need that. I'm not going to France. You yeah. Yeah. Like stuff like that. Like, it's like yeah. you have to give up different experiences and parts of yourself and things you know in order to gain these. Like, you, like you're trading skills, basically. Exactly. Yeah, and it's almost it, it's really cool because it, it 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 speaks to the human experience of how much we give up for what we do for a living. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, or at least the human American experience. <laughs> and then that brings us back to the Luddites, the I, the ice tea led kind of like homeless outside society group. Because they choose to keep their memories as much as possible 
and everyone thinks they're crazy because it's like their memories are all pain like they live terrible lives why would they choose to retain that when they could make money and have a better life right and like their philosophy is that's us that's who we are we don't want to give up ourselves in order to become something that we are not right we're human beings and and it is in a way a form a form of you know slavery giving up a part of who you are for what somebody else's what profits yeah absolutely so that that's my take on the luddites we can have the global pandemic i it that's fine i don't i think that kind of complicates everything although i think it's like oh you're carrying information that's vitally important well so i guess we kind of do have to have like it's a cure it's a cure for a disease yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a pandemic. Like, I feel yeah. like now that we've lived through a pandemic, uh, yeah. the novelty of putting it as a plot line has kind of worn off a little bit. Yeah. Um, it could be anything, though. Yeah, it could be cancer. You know, I, it, could, it, could, it could be. Heck, you know what? It's because they're constantly sequencing genomes. Like, it's they finally figured out the technology to turn off the section of the brain that does aging. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Yeah, let's so, do that. Instead of, so it's something where it's not disease-based, it's they finally figured out a way to, to hack the brain and give, and it's eternal youth, essentially, or a version of immortality. Sure. The only the only thing that pops to mind with that is, though, there's this whole subplot in the film, Johnny Mnemonic, the original film, where he almost has this weird choice where you know, he can become a martyr to have the cure for this horrible disease that's ravaged the world, right? Where it's like that's kind true. of leveraging his life versus, uh, um, you know, saving the planet, essentially. So yeah, I do that's... think we kind of need that story element in there. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think I, I, I take it back and I think you're right because I think the big dilemma is someone who spent his life being selfish now has this opportunity to be incredibly selfless and does not want to. Exactly. And I think that's part of the charm of the character. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. Because if it was immortality or something, then it would also benefit him and that defeats the purpose. Then, exactly. And, then and no people lesson. would still be after him. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Keep going. No, I mean, uh, people would still be after him to to get that information obviously but it wouldn't be the stakes wouldn't be as high yeah i I mean it could be any it the important thing is that it's something that doesn't affect it affects millions if not billions of people but it happens to not affect him exactly so he has to in turn be a little bit of a martyr be a selfless yeah give his head if you will (laughs) yeah so in that case it probably does need to be a disease yeah um yeah, it, again, it doesn't have to be like, what did they call it, NAS? Yeah, which Whatever every time they, they said that, I thought they were talking about Fast and the Furious. I, I thought they were talking about the rapper. So. <laughs> also good. Um, um, but, yeah, uh, could, it could even be as simple as cancer, right? We finally have the cure for yeah. cancer. Somebody's got it in their head. And all, all you got to do yeah. is, you know, scan a, a person, part of a person's body and it kills it immediately. You know, it's it's a very cost effective way of curing cancer. And if we're talking corporate wars where we have all these, uh, you know, health companies, uh, health benefit companies wanting to squash that because that's where their profits come from, then, yeah, mm-hmm. they could definitely have a similar plot line there of, of hiring gangsters and uh, people like that to come and weird religious zealots to come and cut his head off yeah i mean i like the weird religious zealot like that guy is crazy but i think it's a it's a fun juxtaposition of 
what he says doesn't match what he does. And I think that's very indicative of people who really do think like that. Cause oh, as absolutely. we see now that's, yeah. those are real people that exist. Yeah. Incredibly righteous, almost to like the, the nth degree of like yeah. that yeah. their faith justifies them doing horrible things to literally everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we see a oh, lot of that. Because, yeah, because I believe this, therefore it's fine that I do these things because I believe these things and therefore God wants me to do it. It's every day. It's ridiculous. Why Why yeah. on earth would they ever put on a mask or get vaccinated? No, anyway, why would you? Yeah, it's silly. The <laughs> Back other, to this movie. Yeah, the other crazy thing I want to throw out is we have this ghost in the machine this whole time. I, so I want to get rid of the love interest between Johnny and Jane because it's okay. ridiculous. It it's like uh, it's like a, a switch gets flipped and all of a sudden she's into him and I do not understand why. I don't either. I feel like they felt they needed that. In I the 90s. I think so too. Like the more they got into, like the the further the movie progressed and the meaner he was to her, the more she was into it, which I did not care for. Yeah. Um. But so what I I want to switch her feelings from being romantic to being nurturing and trying to take care of him. And he's like, stop it, stop it. It's weird because mm. I want her to have these brain augmentations, the same as everyone else in modern in futuristic cyberpunk society has, because I want her to slowly be, I want Jane to be getting slowly hacked and taken over by the ghost of the machine until she's fully possessed by the ghost of the machine, who is Johnny's mom who lives in the computers. That is a really cool idea. Uh, I like and it. So, I love it. And, and because that's also the next step of, like, if we're fully, like, allowing our brains to be digitized, like, her brain was fully digitized into the machine, but then, like, our in-real-life brains are physical, but, like, they have all this augmentation. What's to stop people from hacking our own brains? And so that's, it's, like, the next logical step. That's a really, and a really cool plot point, by the way. I, I think that's awesome. Like, I love it. <laughs> And it also is further complications of this is also super dangerous because if we have all these people, like it's there because basically any human being in the world can turn into like one of the agents from the matrix. Like agent Smith can take over anyone's brain because we've kind right. of let it happen. And it could be an interesting comment on, on the corporations that make this tech too, in that they say it's foolproof, but you know, really it's, it's not all you need is the right tools to hack in yeah, and uh, it's, it's like they say you can't. It's they they say you can't hack an uh, an automated car. Like you can't hack a Tesla, but then there's all these stories of people hacking Teslas. Yeah, of course you can. You just need to know how to do it. Like yeah. you just need to figure it out. Uh, I, I think that's a really cool idea. Almost in a like kind of evil deadish in a way of like you yeah. never know who's next, who's gonna get uh, possessed next. Exactly. Like that's the idea. That that's so like that's kind of the. Like, we have a scary world now, but it can get so much scarier. Yeah, especially if you it's somebody that you trust, too. Like exactly. a spouse, and all of a sudden, they're not. That's a whole terrifying other movie. <laughs> yeah, well, that plants the seeds for the terrifying Johnny Tumonic. Yeah. Tumon, <laughs> Tudic. No, <laughs> that didn't work. Tumon, uh, oh, well. John. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> two Johnnies. But, like, seriously. And then, like, you have, like, it, 
I mean, you can keep expanding this of like someone who hacks into all these other brains, and it's just like five dudes, and they're all just like perfectly fighting in sync. Yeah, it's like the lone gunman or whatever. Yeah, basically. X Files. Yeah, but, it, but he, he's a lone gunman because all five of these human beings are just the same person, and he's in all of their brains and <laughs> doing all of it at the same time. But but yeah, so I think in terms of like plot lines and kind of the, where we're going, I I think we kind of have that idea. But I think one of the other things we need to replace is I think we need to replace the dolphin. Yeah. That's unfortunate. I love the dolphin, but I agree. It is a bit hokey. <laughs> well, I love the dolphin and I went in watching this movie. I had no idea it was coming and the dolphin was incredibly surprising. It was, it slayed me. I was like, no freaking way. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It, it's yeah. <laughs> but that now exists in the world. That's a thing that, that happened. And I think that's really cool and interesting. So I want to replace it with something else that the LUDs are using that is also super cool and interesting and would be a surprise. So now, not having known that I was going to uh, put you on the spot like this, what do you suggest? What do I suggest? I mean, my my immediate uh, thought is uh, like an orangutan or uh, some a chimp, something like that. Yeah. Something that's, that's close to us. But that's kind of the obvious choice. Yeah. So. Like, I think they did the dolphin and that works. And yeah. so what I think they – so here's my crazy recommendation. Uh, I like they're scavengers and they salvage and do a bunch of other things. And my crazy interpretation is I think their uh, their whole network needs to be built on salvage and salvaged and recovered brains from dead people. Whoa. And it's just like because there was Whoa. so much hardwiring in these people, when someone passes away, they take it all out and they just start hooking it all together. And now that's their, their database. It's like and, a big neural network. Yeah. And because of that, they, so we've been dealing with this one ghost in the machine, this whole movie. Now they have an entire community in the machine. That's really cool. So very we, dark, but yeah, really cool. <laughs> well, we, we've been dealing with this one woman this whole time. And we think it's just her. Like she's the only one that's done it, but no, this Luddite community fa- basically invented the TV show upgrade. Yeah. Oh, it could even be this weird, interesting uh, thing, almost like a cult where, like, once you go, your brain is put into the, you know, the the ether or whatever, the, you know, the big, the big brain, right? You become a part of it. Well, that too. And, like, even though they keep their memories, when stuff's digitized, not the, the entire brain, the entire memories obviously can't become of this thing, but you don't know which pieces of you join it. Right, right. And, like, you have all these different screens showing all these different things. Like, you had this big tower of monitors when you got to the Luddite kind of, like, core. But every single one of those screens could be a different person who passed away's memories. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Playing on the side. It's it's almost like I, I had a vision, too, of, like... Um... You know, do you remember Beetlejuice when they go into the other side and they have this room yeah. of like exercise ghosts where they just kind of like yeah. float up? Mm-hmm. Something like that, too, where it's like almost like a weird hell, but kind of not. Well, uh, it's also the reverse of the way the rest of the society is giving. It's what is the society giving up in order to gain these other abilities? And this version of the Luddites are what are they keeping in the hopes that it gets to last forever? Right. Interesting. And that also will make the, uh, the, the, the street preacher all that more dangerous because he will threaten 
that machine and all their collective memories that have been saved of all these different ghosts. Right, right. Collective memory and skill too. You know, maybe yeah. maybe there's only a certain thing that you keep from so like, yeah, that guy was an asshole, but he was really good at, <laughs> you know, doing this certain thing. And but, like theoretically, like the Luddites could connect their brains to this this machine and and get maybe that skill or that thing. And it's it's this it's this community of shared resources that have been passed down to them by the people who've passed on. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that idea. And I can even like see this, you know, kind of like super collective brain with wires in it. It's super cool. I, don't know. Yeah. I think that's really super cyberpunk and cool. Good, right on there. Yeah, All I right. love it. So that instead of the dolphin, I love the dolphin, but the dolphin's been done. Yeah, dolphin's been done already. I'm quite honestly though, that's the only time I've ever seen a dolphin used like that in a movie. And oh, I, for sure, and it worked brilliant. really well. And like when we yeah. get into the internet with like in the movie as it exists, and Johnny Mnemonic's breaking the internet, the dolphins swimming around the internet too. I loved it. It was saving great. the day. Yeah, yeah, oh, so good. The dolphin's the hero of the movie. The dolphin takes out the street preacher. The dolphin saves Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah, he's he's yeah. The he, dolphin's the champion. It really is. He's has that cool radar ray thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, And so the only thing I would do is at the very end of the movie is after this whole thing happens and the heroes win, Johnny turns to Jane and goes, hey, thank you for all the help. And then Jane says, who are you? Uh, Because now she's no longer being possessed and the ghost is gone. Potentially like got absorbed in with the rest of the ghosts in the the Luddite colony. Right. Or that's it. Right. She served her purpose. And time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah, something something yeah. like that, and that that's how I would end the movie. That's perfect. I love it. I like again. Uh, I know we we talked about not having a romantic level there, but I think if there was a romantic kind of uh, interest there, it would make it an even bigger sting. I don't want his romantic interest possessed by his mother. That's oh right, I forgot about the mother part. Yeah, that's weird. That's a little yeah. too Oedipal. Never mind, scratch that. Yeah, that, <laughs> like I, like there could be hints of like an Oedipal weird creepy thing, but I don't. I that's a look. I'm willing to install things in brains and steal memories away and possess people, but Oedipal stuff. I cross the line. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe uh, maybe maybe cross the familial line. That's that's fair. This isn't Game <laughs> of Thrones. <That's... laughs> I mean, isn't a lot of things. It is. But what other things do we need for our remake, for the actual plot and structure of the movie uh, as we want to create it? I mean, I kind of think we've covered it because, let's be honest, like Johnny Mnemonic, it was a lot of fun to watch, but it is kind of a hot mess. There's a lot of ideas that don't really pay off. So, I mean, I think we should keep it as lean as we could. I um, agree. I mean, it's so easy to turn this into a three, three and a half hour, just like, preaching here's the problems with the world but i don't think it needs to be it's like hey this is a crazy possible future now here's a story in it exactly and i think that's i I think it should be kind of fun and not super heavy-handed on the almost like a satire Uh, you know what i mean like very satirical and but just enough you know not quite you know it's not not a dark serious future like blade runner we still need to have some fun in here if i was to compare it to something i might compare it to like princess mononoke have you seen that I have not, actually. It's an animated Miyazaki movie, and one of the things Miyazaki does really well is you just kind of are in the world. Like, the world you're in doesn't get explained, but you just 
live in the world and all of a sudden here's this story in the world and then like as you get further into the movie like kind of the implications of the world are expanded upon which happens in spirited away it happens in Mm -hmm. princess mononoke it happens in uh nausicaa of the valley of the wind like it's a big miyazaki theme and so that's kind of how i like we have our world we're telling a story in it and now we're gonna see kind of like the further implications of what these things in this world mean to the conclusion and then we're done yeah, perfect. Um, there was another movie that I, I, you probably may not have seen, Dread, the later the I need to Judge see it. Dread. It, it's on my list of things I need to eventually remake because yeah, it's uh, been remade. Yeah, uh, it's a remake, essentially. Yeah, but still, it is uh, a, it's a has-been remade. Yeah, exactly. Um, I loved it, uh, but it does do that. It just drops you into the world, and we learn about it as we go, which Good. I love it. I love doing that. I don't need a heavy-handed explanation. And I don't so. want an opening title crawl. Yeah. Like, those... Yeah, we don't think we need that. No, like, it's like, oh, well, Star Wars did it, so it's okay. But I, if, if there's something in, like, those first seven to ten paragraphs and someone misses it and it's important for the rest of the story, like, I was halfway through the movie before I was like, what are the black shakes? Right. And, and, and like, these title cards were really hard to read, too, because they're, like, kind of well, glowy. This weird, like, weird illuminated backlit, like, shooting yeah. light. And I'm like, this is not like maybe great. In a, maybe in a theater this was good. But... Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. But, yeah. All right. So we've got our movie. You ready to talk about cast? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So, obviously, we have to start with Johnny Mnemonic. Good old Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. So, uh, I wanted... I mean, it's easy to kind of have, like, kind of the the Keanu Reeves, like, blank expression face. So I went with someone who can kind of do the blank expression face, but also have, like, an element of humor. And also has, like, kind of, like, dance and movement training, because if you're getting fighting skills uploaded into your brain, you should be able to use them, right? Yep, right. So I went with Manny Jacinto. Oh, I'm not sure who that is. That is Jason from The Good Place. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing him sorry one second i'm gonna look up oh yeah yes him yeah he's great i would be totally okay with him cool uh, who did you have uh so i went with i went with an actor who's uh also like not necessarily dance but does is has done some action leads and some villain leads as well Ooh. um i actually went with uh michael b jordan as john yeah so, but he may be kind of an obvious choice, actually. A little looking bit. at it now, yeah. So, I, I'm I'm happy going with Manny Jacinto. Okay, great. Let's do it. Yeah, he's great. If a, a remake of this got made, it probably would end up being someone like Michael B. Jordan. So let's give it to probably. Manny Jacinto anyway. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, because I think that would be an incredible film. I think he's great. Good. All right, great. Then tell me about your Jane. So for my Jane, uh, I went with somebody from a film that I referenced earlier, and uh, I, I kind of so we can scratch this idea because uh, if it doesn't work, because we kind of turned Jane into a different character than she was in the original Giant Mnemonic film, you know, scratching the love interest. But I went with somebody who uh, was handled themselves really well with action. Uh, I went with Olivia Thurlby. From... And she she was in Dread. She played the female ah. lead in Dread. Cool. That's awesome. And so, like, we already know that she's got, like, combat ability and she's good at that sort of stuff, right? Right. Exactly. And and she can handle herself really well under pressure. That kind of, uh, you know, 
good with good with action, good with kung, like not necessarily martial arts, but I almost said kung fu. But, and is she <laughs> is she a good subtle actress? Because if she's going to be getting possessed over the course of the movie, her demeanor yes, would is. need to change. She is. Okay, yes. Uh, one of the one of the things in dread, like I don't want to keep going back to it, but is that she's a psychic, so oh. she can read people's minds. Um, and yeah, she's she was quite good in in it. I, I think she could turn the part quite well. Cool. Um, so. Great. Let me tell you about mine. Um, so yeah, my cool. actress, I know from I bring up the show all the time, and I'll probably even bring it up later this episode. I know this actress from the TV show Other Space. But she was also in Under the Dome. She's in Yellow Jackets. I think she plays one of the ghosts in the in the uh, the Lady Ghostbusters. And mm. um, I don't see her that much anymore. And I think that's a shame because I thought she was a really good actress. And I just thought, like, this is a fun opportunity. Like, she kind of plays, like, a tough badass in other space. Then here's an opportunity for her to be a tough badass. Uh, so I went with uh, Bess Rue, which is B-E-S-S, and then her last name, Rue, R-O-U-S. Oh yeah, I I have seen her. She is in in Ghostbusters. Yeah, uh, I'm not familiar with anything else she's been in, unfortunately. But yeah, I think if... I, I think Olivia Thurby is probably the correct choice, especially since we're going to be dealing with like really really subtle stuff. And not to say that Bess can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Bess would probably be phenomenal at it. Um, but I don't know. Right. I, I would. I would just because I'm not familiar with her in an action setting and and this is an action movie that will be right re- I, i'm a client inclined to go with olivia thurlby as well so that that is why i because it's an action movie right and again nothing against Beth. not I'm at sure all she could knock it out of the park but you know. yeah and i'm probably gonna put her in other things going forward just because i think she deserves to work more but good yeah so the next person i had is j-bone uh played by ice t who's the leader of the luddites mm-hmm who's walking around his, like, weird dreadlock wig. It was very strange. An- Anarchy A tattooed on his head. Yeah, that was yeah, Actually, after you're done, look up the guy from the band Ministry. He looks exactly like J-Bone in this movie. Uh, uh, I think his name is Al Jorgensen. But, oh, yeah, yeah, there he dreadlocks, is. Dreadlocks, face tattoos. I mean, other yeah. than the fact that uh, he's white. Well, yeah, there's that. Sorry. <laughs> that, yeah. That was my bad. I mean... <laughs> Just a white guy in dreads. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he, he's an interesting character, and he's one of those characters that we meet early on in the movie, but we keep seeing him again and again. It's like, this guy's got information. He's like, and basically he's the guy who's like leads this Luddite group and protects them and just like is like, yeah, you guys kind of take me for granted as like this uh, homeless guy in the street, but like I'm not. I mean, I am, but I'm not. Yeah, like I'm, I'm way smarter than you think I am. Yeah, so I went with a, uh, I went with another black actor, but like I went with someone who does comedy very well because I think if he's going to be playing some person on the street, I think he needs to be able to be a character, and then can like do a shift, and now all of a sudden he's in business mode. I see. Does that make you kind sense? Of blend in. Yeah. So like, can do the blend in thing, can do the homeless person thing, like can do a performance and then turn it off. Mm-hmm. And so this actor was in happy together. He's in let's be cops. He's in super troopers. I went with Damon, Damon Wayans jr. Okay. Yeah. He's great. And uh, I, he I is that definitely. Yeah. That would be fun. He is definitely, um, somebody who could almost one for one 
uh, for Ice T in that movie. Well, yeah, but in... but, well, that, that was exactly it. Like, I was looking for someone who was one for one, like in terms of like kind of appearance, but like I think his performance would be very, very different. Oh, I agree completely. Because Ice yeah. T is Ice T the whole time. Yeah, he's just being himself, you know, chewing up the scenery. But, but I think Damon <laughs> Wayans Jr. would be would have a very different style of reconnaissance and a very different style of um, like intrigue, and that's what I wanted. Uh, I can see that almost like to where uh, you know we all dismiss him as the crazy bum on the street, but he's just gathering information, kind of a yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Who'd would you, you have? like to hear mine? I very much would. So I, I did go with uh, also uh, a black act, actress, actually. And I chose her because of her performances in in some recent television work that she's done. And I really, like, I went for her because I've seen her go from, like, stoic and, to, you know, maternal and caring. And uh, I went with Regina King, who is most recently, I mean, she's directed some, some great things recently, uh, but... I, I chose her mostly because of her performance in the Watchmen television show. Great. Because uh, there are moments where she just, you know, can, can be a total badass. And then there are moments where she is just a, a compassionate person, a compassionate human being. Um, and I feel like that leads uh, lends itself to being a strong leader in a situation like this. In a clearly dystopian future like this? Right, where you're kind of leading a cult, but it's a cult with the right intentions. <laughs> yeah. A, so. a, a charismatic leader who who was never themselves interested in leading, but they also know that someone has to do it. Exactly, exactly. And there is a lot of that. Uh, you see a lot of that in her performance in The Watchmen. Great. Um, I'm, I'm on board. Let's go with Regina King. I think that's a great argument. Great. Uh, fantastic. So then... I have Takahashi and I have Shinji. Um, did you cast either of those characters? Um, I did. I mean, I feel like I, we need I, a Shinji because of like the whole laser whip, but I didn't know if you cast Takahashi. Uh, I cast a CEO. I didn't particularly cast Takahashi. So. Is Takahashi a CEO? Because I feel like he was the person who was in charge of the uh, of oh. the Yakuza. I didn't think he was a CEO. Maybe... Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe he was in charge of the Yakuza. I thought he was the CEO. I'm sorry. It could go either way. I thought he was way. the CEO of a different, uh, of a different company mm. trying to get the information. But I think you're right. I think he was the Yakuza guy, and I was just looking more into I it mean, if it. we're being honest, it was 1995, and he's Japanese. He was in the Yakuza. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I cast an evil CEO. I okay. did not cast Takashi. Okay. Um, well then hold on to that for a minute because i think that's a good idea i don't know where we'll put that but i mean we certainly can have an evil ceo yeah Uh, so let's let me tell you about my takahashi Mm -hmm. and then you'll tell me about your evil ceo uh sounds good my takahashi i just saw basically playing this role in uh the movie kate Mm. where he 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 plays a leader of a he literally plays the leader of a yakuza gang but he has a surprising depth that you're not expecting from his character that I found interesting and compelling. And he's clearly a very good actor. Uh, and he's also in kill bill. Uh, this, mm. this actor's name is June Kinimura. Yes. So J U N K U N I M U R A. I'm, I'm familiar with him. Yes. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, sorry, I just had to see a picture of him. Sorry, took yeah. it, took it a second. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a cool dude. He's totally great. Um, and I he... was actually oh, go ahead. No, no, please. No, I was just gonna say uh, he he is. I mean, my perfect choice would have been Sonny Chiba, but he's definitely the next best uh, <laughs> choice for that. So cool. yeah, he's perfect. Great. Who do you have for your evil CEO? So for my evil CEO, and again, I thought we were. I thought uh, Takahashi was head of a corporation trying to steal this information out of his head, not the Yakuza. Uh, so that with that in mind, as an evil CEO trying to get the information and squash it, uh, I I went with a very charismatic uh, white guy, Christoph Waltz. Yeah, that makes sense. Play an evil CEO. Because. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he looks like <laughs> every evil CEO I know. Yeah, so. basically. That that totally works. Of course, Christoph Waltz would be a good evil CEO. Yeah. Good, I love it. Uh, cool, then how'd you, Then uh, who did you have for your Shinji? Uh, for my Shinji, uh, because, again, I, I assumed it was uh, he was a stooge of the CEO and not the Yakuza for some reason I didn't connect it to, I thought it would be cool to to make him kind of a more like a American white Texas kind of dude who was manning a whip instead of. <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. And so I, I thought that would kind of play into the satire a little bit of, uh, you know, a very Ted Cruzian kind of Texan going along to stop him. And I, I went with an actor called Logan Marshall Green, who was in uh, Upgrade. Mostly known for his work in Upgrade, which is kind of a similar movie, but yeah, I thought it would be kind of inter- entertaining and interesting to see, uh, almost like Walker Texas Ranger coming after this guy instead of the Yakuza. That's you know. very funny. Um, he also plays the the first version of Electro in uh, Spider Man Homecoming. Oh, I still haven't seen Spider Man Homecoming, so it's uh, it's worth that. your time. It's great. So yeah. m- my version of Shinji also I. I didn't even think of the idea of like having an actual whip. That's very funny. And just like it being a cowboy. Like, I, th- I think that's hilarious. I went because it was like this Yakuza take like infighting thing. Like I didn't love, I thought that was just kind of a lot. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted someone who'd be just like a really good Lieutenant, like a really like intimidating enforcer. And so this actress is, uh, she's was in Lovecraft country. And then I know her from uh, birds of prey uh, this actress mm-hmm. is named uh, Journey Smollett. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Um, J-U-R-N-E-E. And then Smollett is S-M-O-L-L-E-T-T. Mm-hmm. And I thought yeah. she'd just be a really good like lieutenant in the Yakuza or in whatever corporate uh, private army that gets hired in order to recover this information. Right. And and yeah, she looks she looks like she could really whip your ass too so yeah <laughs> i mean I'd, I'd be up for either um i mean there's no re- so here's what we can do if we're if we're gonna have infighting i feel like it shouldn't be trying to take out takahashi but we could definitely have rival lieutenants in this evil organization trying to get to the job first Ooh, i like that because so, that you know that almost leads to even more conflict yeah uh, so i i do like that well, we can even like see them like like fail first and then get further upgraded, so we can see them losing even more of the humanity, giving it up in order to try to get this job done. Yeah, and it, and it, I like it more as as it's almost a rivalry that's driving yeah. it instead of uh, 
you know, instead of the getting the job done, it's almost like, no, I can't let so-and-so, you know, get this job. This is mine. Yeah. Well, Whatever and, it and, takes. And and so that's why they're, they're sacrificing more in different parts of themselves in order to get more skills. Like, we can – they can be the people we see getting these amp, uh, body modification, amplification things, and that will be what teaches us, the audience, how it works and – and, and what that process is. Yeah, perfect. Love it. Great. That way that, we don't uh, have to explain it. <laughs> yes, exactly, because then we get to show, not tell. Yeah. That brings us to the Street Preacher. So, uh, my Street Preacher is an interesting choice. I think mm-hmm. this is an actor who would have a lot of fun with the idea. I went with kind of a, a, an, a similar idea of someone who is one for one, but we want someone who's very in shape, who's clearly been modified, and is like can lean fully into like their own, just way up their own butt of their own self-justification. And that's exactly the sort of thing we saw Chris Evans do when he was in uh, Civil War. And, you know, uh-huh. I want Captain America to be our evil street preacher, Chris Evans. <laughs> I think that's great. I think he's perfect, especially since uh, he is known for being, you know, Mr. Nice Guy as Captain America, right? Right. Like you um, take Captain America and you just pervert it. Yeah, exactly, which is perfect for this movie because it's a message on how perverted America can be. Basically, yeah. I don't know if you cast a street preacher, did you? I did, and I went in a completely different direction. Who'd you Um, have? So uh, my idea for the street preacher was actually a little more kind of what, uh, like, the original Terminator was in terms of, like, uh, being very unassuming, can kind of fit in anywhere, uh, but also very stoic and... Could be very righteous, but it, not in the same way that Dolph Lundgren hammed it up. Yeah, Dolph Lundgren um, did a great job. Yeah, oh, he was great. But for this movie, I think, you know, I think uh, somebody like Gwendolyn Christie could really play a really dark version oh, of yeah, she'd be the street preacher. Yeah. I love the idea of casting Gwendolyn Christie. I think she'd be absolutely phenomenal. But I really like the idea of making Chris Evans be real evil. Yeah, no, I think that's great, too. I, I think he would be perfect, especially if you just kind of let him loose on, on that, on some of that dialogue. Yeah, he's just the wild card who just got thrown in. Everyone's like, you called who? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Just It's almost like you, you called the tank in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? He is an unstoppable force. Yeah, no, I think I think Chris Evans would be perfect and would be really fun to watch. Good. I like it. Especially if it's, you know, we're, we're working in a satirical kind of environment. He would be just perfect. Yeah. So that's all. I was just going to gush a little more about Chris Evans, you know. <laughs> a dark form of satire. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. That brings us to, so I have three more. I have Spider, I have Ralphie, and I have the Ghost in the Machine. Uh, which one was Ralphie again? He was the broker. The original broker okay. who betrayed uh, Keanu Reeves. I have those as well then. The... Okay, great. Let's talk about Spider. Who'd you have for Spider. Spider was really hard to kind of one-up uh, Henry Rollins. Uh, yeah. I agree <laughs> so with I, that. I did go a little one-for-one one on this one, and I almost cast this actor as uh, the uh, street preacher, but I think he would – he's too kind. So I think he would be better in suited in Spider's role. Uh, I went with Jason Momoa as, as uh, Spider. <laughs> I can see that. That's a, that's a big A-list star that you're putting in in the – it, like this two or three scene role yeah that's fine because yeah. he only has to work three days you know that's true so. 
that that's a that's a bold choice. Um, so my spider is this guy's been in so many different things, and he's great. He's an amazing actor. I also know him from other space. He's my other other space pull. Uh, but he's like been in so much and he's one of those people that you don't even if you don't necessarily know his name you will now know his face okay because he's been in kong skull island he was in loki he was in the mandalorian he also was in the good place this actor is eugene cordero and even though you don't Uh, see it in some of those other things he is surprisingly ripped oh yeah no i can i'm looking at one of his headshots and that's yeah he's he's got some muscle and I also kind of went for a one-for-one one for Henry Rollins a little bit, but in terms of just, like, someone who can kind of, like, also do the, the silly silly to serious. Exactly. And I think uh, his face is kind enough to be, yeah. you know, like, but, he, he has really can, kind eyes. But you can also dirty him up because when we first meet Spider, he's like, oh, he's like, this guy used to be a doctor and he gave it up to do, like, body augmentation. But no, no, he didn't. He's doing body augmentations in a way that he can safely as opposed to, like, someone who would be doing it unsafely. And he's also still a doctor. Like, he's he is this unsung hero of the movie, the person who's trying to do everything, that, trying to do as much for as many people as he can. And he ends up getting killed for it. And it's right. deeply sad. And, you're, and like, he, his death is the most tragic. I agree. I, I do agree. And everyone knows him. Yeah, and he's he's definitely one of those doctors that like look this may not be ethical but it'll work. You yeah. Know? Um so <laughs> so uh and he, I think he was wasn't he also the doctor for the um Luddites too? He was yes. also the guy kind of taking care of them. Yeah, so. he was he was take he was like the only person who was willing or able to take care of everybody. Yeah. So that's a deeply yeah, that is a big deep loss. Yeah, and so that's why I thought someone I mean and Jason Momoa is also super duper fun. Like, I think both of these are great choices. I would go with Eugene Cordero just because he's a little bit less well known. Yeah, uh, I, I'm inclined to do that too. So. But I, but both of them would be able to do this role amazingly. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think your choice is is perfect for what this is. Jason so. Momoa absolutely would have been an amazing street preacher, though. Oh, totally. But also one for one. Yeah, with, uh, Dolph Lundgren. Very so. much so. Yeah. Uh, cool. So then. Let me tell you about my Ralphie, the broker. So I went with someone who would just be kind of fun and who kind of like, like you meet him immediately and you're like, oh, this dude's going to betray him. And he does. So I went with like that. I also went with a very one for one casting uh, for that just because I was like, yeah, because that's kind of the role he has in Supernatural and Battlestar Galactica and Doom Patrol and Firefly. And I went with Mark Shepard. Okay. Who was he in Firefly? He's uh, the dude with the oh, accent right. who right, like wants right, to buy right. the cows or something, and then uh, 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 Summer Glau walks up and like basically completely dresses him down and then leaves, and he's like, "Yeah, I like her." Yeah, yeah, I do remember him. Okay, yeah, I mean he's a good choice. He's a good choice for it. Um, mine, mine is also a television actor. Um, I went with a little more stoic though, a little more believable in terms of uh, like. He could be this, you know, serious dark broker who double crosses you at the drop of a hat. Um, my my choice is Daniel Day Kim. Oh, interesting. What made you suggest uh, Daniel Day Kim? He uh, just in his mannerisms and the way he carries himself. I think that he could definitely play multiple sides of a card. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and do it seamlessly without 
any kind of emotion or attachment. And it was very clear that while Udo, Udo Kier was really, uh, you know, kind of chewing the scenery too, <laughs> this, this moment, the moment where, uh, he's like, Oh wait, I thought you got the upgrade. Like I could see that as like, uh, Daniel Day Kim kind of gaslighting the courier, you know, Oh, you said it would be fine. What are you worried about? You know? Yeah. 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 So. yeah. I like it. I think that's a uh, very clever. I'm fully on board with that idea. Daniel Day Kim it is. Cool. Uh, great. That brings us to the ghost in the machine. Secretly Johnny's mom. So Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Mnemonic. Mrs. Yeah. Mnemonic. Mnemonic. Excuse me. I keep, yeah. I always spell it wrong. <laughs> it's a weird word. Nobody it's knows so that weird. word. I went first to the last one. So your turn. My turn. Okay. Uh, I went with somebody who is no stranger to this genre and uh, somebody who has been in numerous, numerous roles, uh, both, you know, some maternal, some action, some adventure, some evil CEO. I thought she would be perfect to just be a ghost in the machine. I went with Sigourney Weaver. I knew you were building to that. I knew you were building to that. (laughs) That that yeah. is an excellent choice. Oh, that's tough. I mean, she's perfect. I so. she very much is. Oh, that's a good choice. I mean, the only thing I might say is she's potentially too old to be Johnny's mom, but I think she's roughly the same age as the person I cast, so I I certainly can't use that as a argument in my favor. Ah, oh, I'm gonna have a hard time saying no to Sigourney Weaver, but I'm going <laughs> to try. So uh, well, my actress has done voiceover work, uh, and that is how I first know her. But she's also had a very long career like she's been in comedy she's been in drama like her first big role was she was in married with children but she just recently like finished a huge like emmy award-winning role in sons of anarchy but she's also leela in futurama and most importantly she has played a disembodied voice who takes over an entire system in a movie called smart house where she plays the smart house and that is Katie Seagal. Oh, I knew you were going with her. Oh, yeah. She's so good. I know, right? Yeah. Like, oh man, both of us pulled in like some real top tier choices for this. They're both yeah. so good. Yeah. And, and Smart House, what a if anybody hasn't seen that movie, go see it. It's so good. It's <laughs> it's it's very, very silly. It's definitely a decom, but it's so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean it's it's not a great movie, but it's good. But it's super fun. It's so I have this like I had a weird suggestion from someone on the Dueling Genre Discord that, like, kind of, like, spiraled out. Like, uh, this, uh, <laughs> Ash recommended that I potentially, like, do, it was some other decom. I think it was, it was, it was, uh, I think it was not the, the Phantom of the Multiplex. I think it was the Mummy one, and I don't remember the name, I, like, but I don't remember the name of it. And I was like, you know, a crazy thing would be if I did an entire season, an entire year's worth of Ideal Remakes... And they were all decoms. I'm like, there's so many decoms that that could work, and it could genuinely be super fun. Yeah. And I'm thinking about it, but like even outside of that, Smart House at some point I want to do. Oh, I would totally join you on that. That's such a such a silly movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so silly, but like it'd be such a goofy, fun thing to do. Anyway, that future conversation. Yeah, I have no idea who to go with because these are both excellent choices let's kind of let's talk through it while katie Segal siegel is it siegel or Segal? katie Segal. i can never i think uh, is it Segal? i think so i blew it it's a s-a-g-a-l i don't think there's any e's yeah okay 
I was gonna I was gonna go with whichever one of us had the most things, but as far as I can tell, I've gotten five and you've gotten five. Oh man, so this is like a super tiebreaker here. Yeah, because we split Shinji and we both got Shinji. It, yeah, yeah. Let's come back to it. Well, I mean, because we could we could also split on writer director, so we're gonna end up having to make this decision anyway. No, let's let's do this now. All right, yep. walk me through the pros and cons. All right, so with Katie Siegel, while I love her, uh, I think she can. Uh, did I butcher her name again? Yeah, don't worry about it. All right, well, well just keep going. <laughs> Katie Siegel, uh, Katie Seagal, while she uh, would be perfect for this as well. Uh, it does lend itself to a little more of a comedic tone because of her past work as Leela or Peg Bundy or even a smart house for the 32 people that saw that movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm more inclined to lean towards Sigourney Weaver just because it lends a, a different level of credibility. Not to say that Katie Seagal is bad, but you know, it's Sigourney Weaver. And yeah, like I said, I'm going to have a hard time saying no to Sigourney Weaver. And I think like part of me cast Katie Seagal, not because I don't think she'd be amazing. And I think her role in Sons of Anarchy is really the best argument for her having this role. Oh, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, but I, if we like slowly get bits and pieces of a voice and everything and everyone's like, I think that's Sigourney Weaver's voice. I, I do think Sigourney Weaver's probably the right choice. Yeah. Especially, I mean, it could be one of those that like we play it close to the chest, but the audience, you know, can be like, is it, is it yeah. not? I, I know that voice from somewhere. So, but but I also think it does need to be recognizable. So that way, if we get glimpses of her glimpses of her in memories, when we finally do see her, we need to be like, oh yeah, okay, that's Sigourney Weaver. I yep. A better argument for this for me is that when we eventually see this person in Johnny's memory, we need need to immediately know that that's who that is. And unfortunately, this is one of those situations where you need the more recognizable face because when the movie as it exists now, like I don't know who the actress was in the machine. And so, like, I didn't immediately recognize her when we saw her in the memories. And I think it's supposed to be his mom, but I'm not 100% sure. And we should, as an audience, be 100% sure. Exactly. And as much as I love Katie Seagal, I don't know that I would immediately recognize her instantly. Right. And th- there is this weird thing, too, where if it is almost like a maternal side, where you kind of almost go instantly to Peg Bundy a little bit. <laughs> and, I mean, sure, but yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm leaning towards Sigourney Weaver in this one. Good. I agree. I already crossed out Katie Seagal and wrote in Sigourney Weaver. I, I think that's correct. Okay. So then we got writer and we got director, unless uh, I'm missing any more actory roles. Uh, no, I think I think that covers, I think everybody else in that movie was kind of just hired stooges. Basically, yeah. So. All right, so let's talk about writer. You went first for this one, so let me tell you about my writer. Uh, so my writer has a history of writing post-apocalyptic kind of dystopian worlds. Uh, This is a writer who worked on the Divergent series, which isn't necessarily the best series of movies, but it's an adaptation. It's a remake. And I think there was a lot going on in the world. And I think there's a lot of fatigue. So I don't think those movies are great, but I don't think it's a hundred percent his fault. But it last year, he wrote two movies that both got made and they both came out in 2020 and both are excellent and not enough people are talking about either of them. He wrote the movie Love and Monsters, which is an amazing post-apocalyptic, traveling across a apocalyptic wasteland to try to find someone you love movie. Oh. And he also wrote a movie called Spontaneous, which is kind of a, a, a teenage 
movie set in high school where the kids start spontaneously combusting and no one knows why. Wow, wow. I have not heard of either of those. Right. They both came out in 2020, so no one heard of them. But they're both excellent. And you take crazy disease that's happening and affecting people and we don't know why and traveling across a post-apocalyptic wasteland to get to the people who uh, you think need your help or who you who need to help you, you combine those and you get Johnny Mnemonic. Essentially, so, yeah. Brian Duffield, that is the name of my of the writer I've got for you. I can't say I'm familiar with any, any of his work outside of, uh, oh, he wrote The Babysitter. I liked The Babysitter. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. That was a that was a fun little horror movie. Cool. Yeah, that, that and Divergent is the only thing that I'm aware of from him. But, yeah. Uh, they, he, yeah, and he, not bad. He's a lower, like, he's obviously not an A-list name, but, like, I I think specifically Love and Monsters and, and Spontaneous, like, those two movies kind of speak for themselves. I see. Because that's, that's where his current level of work is at, and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm definitely open to it. I like, I like what I've seen of his work, so, you know. Who did you have um, uh, for a writer? So my writer, he might might be a rung above yours, but I went with somebody who is who has kind of been known for writing cyberpunk and you know dark future kind of material like this. So we're kind of getting close to the, to the same. Um, my my writer is Alex Garland, uh, who sure, sure, sure. most recently created the TV show Devs, which I believe is on Hulu. Um, he wrote Ex Machina. He wrote Dread, the Dread movie, and uh, <laughs> he wrote 28 Days Later, which is also a apocalypse, post-apocalyptic, you know, kind of zombie flick. Um, so I thought I thought he would he would do good handling this material. Yeah, that's uh, a good based choice. Based on what he's written before, so interesting. Like, if, especially if we're going to be doing a bunch of body horror shenanigans in our movie, like he is. Yeah, he's a good choice for that sort of thing. Interesting. Who do you have for your director? Uh, so uh, my director, I uh, I went with uh, somebody who's a little lesser known. Um, he's done a lot of TV, but again, I I looked at movies that were kind of similar to what I thought the tone of this remake could be. Um, so I went with Pete Travis, who is an action director, a lot of television. Most notably, he directed Vantage Point, the Vantage Point remake, and and Dread as well. Got it. Interesting. Uh, so, but he handles action quite well, handles uh, satire quite well. Yeah, I figured I figured he would be great handling material like this. All right, cool. My director is uh, the director for Birds of Prey. For she did a couple episodes of Succession. She also worked on uh, something called Dead Pigs. I went with Kathy Ann. She's had oh. the reins of a big budget action movie before, fairly recently. I thought she did a good job. I really enjoyed Birds of Prey. I thought she'd be able to play around with it and have a little bit of fun uh, with the idea. And so I thought that Kathy Ann would be a fun choice for director. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Birds of Prey yet. I really need to. I agree. Um, I'm not familiar. However, work. what I think we should do is I think this whole thing should be written by Brian Duffield and then directed by Alex Garland. Yeah, yeah, I'd totally be open to that. I think that would be a winning combination. Because that way we could... Because I don't think of Alex Garland as being funny and fun. Right. And and Johnny Mnemonic, as it exists now, isn't and doesn't have to be. But I think that we can have kind of a a dark humor to it that I think that I think Brian Duffield would bring to it, and then Alex yes. Garland would be able to create the world in a very interesting and compelling way. Right, I agree with that. 
and that I think would be fun. We've got our cast. Let me take you through it. The new Johnny, Johnny New Monic. Yep, that's a. Uh, but and even <laughs> that, it's mnemonic. So, but that, but now our version, new uh, Johnny Mnemonic, Johnny Mnemonic. Um, Johnny is going to be played by uh, Manny Jacinto. Jane will be played by Olivia Thurlby. J Bone will be Regina King. Takahashi will be June Kunimura. And the evil CEO who hires Takahashi will be Christoph Waltz. Shinji is going to be split between these two different lieutenants, Journey Smollett and Logan Marshall Green. Our street preacher will be Captain America himself, Chris Evans. Spider will be Eugene Cordero. Ralphie will be Daniel Day Kim. The Ghost in the Machine slash Johnny's Mom will be Sigourney Weaver. All of this will be written by Brian Duffield and directed by Alex Garland. That is Johnny Mnemonic. I want to see this movie. Yeah, good. That was my question. Yeah, I want to see this movie. It's going to be so fun. First in line. Yeah, Yeah. this will be a lot of fun. I'm in. Sounds great. (laughs) Uh, Cool. So thank you again for returning uh, to the show. Tell people listening where they can find you online and how they can support you. Uh, sure. I, uh, I should have a single coming out on Spotify, uh, by Halloween, just some, you know, fun Halloween music. Uh, so you can watch me there just at Kevin Mosteller. You can find me on Instagram at Kevin Mosteller music, or, uh, if you're interested in checking out my, uh, music portfolio, uh, and you need a, you need a score for your film, you can check me out at, uh, Kevin Mosteller music.com. Cool. Great. Uh, Awesome. Um, if you want to find me, I am at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H on Twitter, or you can find the podcast at Ideal Remake uh, on Twitter or Instagram, but mm, a little bit of both, actually. I'm, I've been doing trying to do better about posting on both. Or join us on Facebook or uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you prefer getting your podcast via YouTube. And then uh what i've been trying to do through dueling genre is we're trying to support the other podcasts so i'm going to tell you about one of the other shows on dueling genre and this time i'm going to tell you about the doctor's companion this is a weekly when doctor who is airing podcast about doctor who and the episodes that have been happening so if you want kind of a live chat show like an after after hours kind of chat show about the most recent doctor who with people who are big fans of the show Hosts Scott Corelli, Cass Fredrickson, and Nick Jimenez analyze and discuss Doctor Who, every episode, every doctor, one doctor at a time. Many, many episodes are out. They've obviously been doing this for a very, very long time. The Doctor's Companion is another dueling genre podcast that you should check out. So, Kevin, we'll end as we always do. What is your favorite quote from the movie Johnny Mnemonic? I think think we said it earlier. I think it's, I want room service, and I want meals served to me, and I want a $10,000 a night hooker. It's a good, it's a good memorable line, and I, I'm having a hard time coming up with a better one. I know there's a street preacher one, I just can't, it's like on the tip of my tongue. It's something like, <laughs> we are both instruments of God, you are an instrument of his mercy, I am an instrument of his wrath. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And I just couldn't call it up, but man. <laughs> Dolph but Lundgren. I, so good. I think we can all agree that the actual best line of this movie is <laughs> right before he killed a giant. Yeah. Giant giant preacher. Hey, the only one who will ever murder you is a giant preacher man. <laughs> I'm going to rewrite that as a as a song and yeah. I'm into it. Great. Uh, Love it. Nancy Sinatra sing it. <laughs> <laughs> good.